you heard there was the theme from the medal ceremonies that uh, went on during the 2018 Pyeongchang uh, Winter Olympics. And that's where we're going to be this week because the two players that we're profiling from this week's book definitely made an impact in uh, 2018 at the Olympics there, uh, as you will soon find out. But uh, at any rate, just want to say, hey there, everyone. It's another great week uh and i'm happy to be here i know everybody else out there is uh i just want to ask though is anybody else feeling effects of the time change i know i'm just behind period uh, i know that it wasn't fall back it's spring ahead so you think you'd be ahead but as we all know losing that hour can be pretty big so i'm definitely behind but i'm catching up real quick and i'm just really happy to still be here and recording the show of course but i think the consensus really is that fall back is really better than spring forward and I'm really inclined to agree right now and it's just really funny how I, I can fall asleep at the same time wake up at the same time and yet my body's like still like nope we're, 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 we're behind here dude uh, so anyways as we typically say back home uh, it, it could be worse and yeah it could be worse but still sucks uh, as for the week in hockey, uh, as I usually start the show off with, uh, I'm excited uh, as we march towards the trade deadline especially. Uh, there's a lot of things that look to be working against big deals happening, uh, but I still anticipate it should be great. I mean, COVID quarantines, flat cap expected. Uh, it, it just looks to be a big deterrent to getting some big deals done, but there's still deals out there that can be done and could really improve some teams. Uh, as we look towards the playoffs and getting there and actually playing in the playoffs. Uh, and there's going to be something to change that picture for sure. And there's, like I said, deals still to be made, even though it looks like things might be a little uh, a little bleak on the trade front. How much does that uh, move the needle, though? Uh, you know, that's going to be hard to tell. That's really the fun part, though, with the trade deadline stuff anyway. So. But... Uh, as you know, this is From the Point. I'm Danny Lambert, and I'm here to prognosticate with you about another great hockey book, as we do on this show every week. And this week, we'll be looking to pick up and continue the celebration of Women's History Month with another great book highlighting some pioneers of the women's game. We spent the last couple weeks largely focused on the international women's hockey arena, uh, with first a profile of the first gold medal winning Olympic gold medal winning winning team uh, the 1998 US women and then last week we shifted our gaze a little bit north of the border and looked at the uh, life of perhaps the best woman ever to play uh, professional and uh, international hockey uh, that was uh, Haley Wickenheiser in her book that was a lot of fun but this week we're going to stay engaged with the international game uh, again and we're going to look again back to Team USA for this this uh, profile uh, this time we're going to pick it up with a timeline and examination in the lives and playing careers of two recently retired members of the U.S. team who played a huge role in the uh, U.S.'s gold medal win at the last Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. Jocelyn and Monique Lamoureux are identical twin sisters from Grand Forks, North Dakota. Uh, I used to live in Minot. Uh, yeah, excited to talk about some North Dakotans. And uh, they're currently two of the most recognizable women in the game. I, I, you can't go anywhere without seeing their pictures. Um, you know, <laughs> they're identical twins, and uh, they've obviously earned their right to be recognized, and they're doing a lot with their platform, as we're going to talk about. Um, they're both winners of three Olympic medals, four Minnesota State High School Championships, and three National High School Championships as well. 
they, like the women that came before them, had to travel a rough road to get there to uh, the highest level of the women's game. Sure, it was a little bit easier for them because of the sacrifices and tenacity of the generation that came before them, but their story is still every bit as compelling uh, as the sisters faced many old but still new challenges in their quest to fulfill their hockey dreams. In their recently published book, Dare to Make History, Chasing a Dream and Fighting for Equity, the twins tell their awesome hockey story from the beginning and just what it took to get to the top of the sport and what it took to stay there. Now we know what book we're talking about. Let's get to it. The warm-up is on after this. Hi, everyone. I'm AJ Malesko. I'm here with Monique and Jocelyn Lamoureux, twin sisters who earlier this week announced their retirement from the U.S. Women's National Team. Both of them are married, so we do also know them as Monique Lamoureux Mirando and Jocelyn Lamoureux Davidson. What spectacular careers they've both had. And of course, I've had the pleasure of having a front row seat to much of that, of much of those careers, and I've watched them play for a long time. From their youth days in Grand Forks, North Dakota, to their time at Shattuck St. Mary's in Minnesota, and from their playing college hockey to their 14 years with the U.S. Women's National Team, where they represented our country on the world stage, their journey playing hockey has been filled with so much success, including, of course, six world titles, and that remarkable run to the gold medal in the 2018 Olympics. So welcome Monique, Jocelyn, in celebration of your careers, we thought it would be really fun to hear from each of you on what you consider your top three hockey playing memories from your time as kids maybe, or right through until today. I'm sure it's gonna be hard to narrow it down to three, but let's give it a shot. And of course you don't have to, these don't have to be in any order. I just thought we'd bounce back and forth between the two of you and maybe things will come to you as we go. So. Let's give it a try. And Jocelyn, I think we're going to start with you. Uh, I think the easy one would be uh, obviously winning gold in 2018. Um, and you think about why that's such an amazing memory aside from obviously winning gold, but like what it takes to, to get there, how long we've trained, when our dream started, watching you guys win in 98. Um, it really sparked our our motivation to want to be Olympians. And so winning gold in the way that we did, um, especially for the two of us to have the role uh, we did in that game specifically, was, it was pretty special for us and our family. And it'd be pretty hard to top a game like that for sure. <laughs> well, Monique, I'm sure you have the same, one, that has to be probably in your top three, but now you're under pressure to come up with something different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I in thinking about like our top moments, I was trying to like go a little bit in a different way as well. And I was thinking about like, what's like a moment that I, one of the moments I've learned the most from and which might not be like a successful moment, but thinking back to, to 2014 and our loss in Sochi and the, the heartbreak that our team went through and having gotten silver, but the way in which we lost the game, as most people know, we were up two to nothing with less than three minutes left, Canada ties it up and then, and then we ended up losing in overtime. And I think the reflection that not just us, but our entire team went through and what we did within the locker room and within the program to make sure that the outcome was gonna be different the next time, I think without the the lessons that we learned and what we took away from that loss i don't think the following four years of our national team careers would have been would have been as successful as they were without that loss that was uh aj malesko on a zoom call with the twins giving them a quick interview they wanted to talk about their top three hockey moments and we just really ran through 
number one. Uh, if you want to get on YouTube, you can listen to uh, two and three from both uh, Jocelyn and Monique. But uh, what I found interesting about that is just how AJ set up the entire thing, and it really helps me set up this entire uh, episode because it really is just a good summary of what the two Lamoureux twins were able to do over their careers. Um, so hopefully that sets the stage where you whets your appetite a little bit. And you got to hear from both of them real quick uh, about what their top memories were, uh, as expected. Uh, <laughs> even though um, one of them had to basically not say 2018, both of them would say 2018, uh, winning the gold medal for sure. But uh, still an interesting clip, and I recommend that you, you check it out on YouTube if you get a chance. So to start the warm-up, uh, you really got to say that no athlete's rise to the top of their sport is really considered to be an easy road, even you know with as much talent as they may have. If you listen to the last two episodes of the show, you've certainly got a feeling that women who look to get to the top of the hockey world face very unique challenges from the start that their male counterparts just really don't face. I can ruin I really cannot say it enough. The road for women is one that is fraught with issues, and it's just really a harder way to go. Even despite as far as we've come, there's still a lot more uh, left to go. Sure, it's gotten better as time goes by and the popularity of the women's game grows along with the growing of opportunities for women to play. Still, many of the challenges of, say, women of the first U.S. Olympic team in 1998 are still the challenges that the women of the 2018 U.S. Olympic team 2018 U.S. Olympic team had. Today, some of those challenges may be easier to navigate, but for me, reading the story of the Lamoureux sisters, I heard just a lot of the same things that I heard when I read the story of, say, like, Cami Granato and her road to the top of the hockey world. It can still be said, if it wasn't for Cami and her teammates, though, there wouldn't be the Lamoureux. Uh, It's an something that when you look at the past you see the linkage right away between the two Um, but as you'll see throughout this episode uh, the linkage is one thing but uh, you can start to see that the Lamoureux have their own linkage to the next generation and it'll be really interesting to see how that all comes out later. Some of those challenges uh, that the women's players face may be easier to navigate but for me, reading the story of the Lamoureux sisters, I just heard a lot of the same things that I heard uh, earlier, as I said before. I don't think you can go anywhere, though, after the 2018 games and not see the faces of the two Lamoureux twins. They captured gold, along with, and along with it, they captured the hearts of the country, who watched and saw the two twin sisters from the Heartland play some seriously awesome hockey. Uh, to me, it's just great to see these two sisters who were the next generation of players who moved on the, moved, uh, the game forward for women and really for men in the U.S. Uh, by exciting everyone with their hockey and their positive attitudes uh, off the ice. But there's so much more to the story that we're going to get to. Their book is a great recap of what it took to get there, both personally and professionally. As you know, I've read a lot of hockey stories, and Jocelyn and Monique's story is absolutely typical in some senses and not in others. The book itself is the first time I've ever seen where they have two people telling their autobiography in tandem. It's really kind of cool. One moment you'll have words from Jocelyn, next you'll have words from Monique, so forth and so on. Um, And it's really kind of cool as they simultaneously advance their story together. It's really a unique way of telling the story, and it works. 
Also, they aren't too verbose, and the switching between them really isn't too hard to follow, as you might think when you hear me say that. Uh, they get to the point and they tell their story both collectively and individually at the same time. So it's not like you're just hearing uh, two people tell the same story. They tell their individual uh, stories as well. And, and it's actually just a bit uh, of a neat literary trick that, to me, just really works. Uh, most of all, though, this book is special because it goes into a lot more detail about the inequities in the uh, women's game that Team USA was facing than some of the some of the past books I've read. Uh, Jocelyn and Monique were both instrumental in organizing and executing the moves that set in motions and negotiations that were made uh, by the women of Team USA to say that uh, to get t USA Hockey to support them every bit as much as their male counterparts. And we're going to talk to that in detail in the second period because that's what the second period is completely about. Um, but it can be said that the game was not really equal to that point um, in 2017, as you'll see. And from a USA Hockey perspective, and uh, you know, it, it just seemed that they had to organize everyone, not just themselves, but everyone to do it. And it was very cool to see. And it cannot be understated just the courage that it took just to do that. Uh, and it was a, a really neat part of the book to read. So looking ahead uh, to forming a discussion on the book, I really think we need to start with the two sisters and their background. Uh, more specifically, what built the Lamoureux into the players and women that became so successful and did so much on the ice? We'll answer that and so much more as we look to the sisters start in the first period coming up after this. I'm Jocelyn. And I'm Monique. We're from a small town in North Dakota, um, Grand Forks. I think most people characterize it as a hockey town. I remember uh, across the street from my parents' house, we have a little pond, we call it the Cooley, and uh, we would skate down there when we were younger. And I was actually talking to my mom about it a couple weeks ago, and we would go down there and skate, and she would um, she would blow a whistle three times when we were supposed to come up. But and I was asking, I was like, did that ever like actually work? She and she's just like, no. I would eventually just have to come out and yell at you guys and make you guys come up to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I remember our first development camp. That was kind of the first legit girls camp we went to, and that we had grown up playing boys hockey, and so it was kind of a little bit of awakening for us to be around girls all the time. And I mean, I think just playing so many different sports growing up and we always played for the most part we always played a team sport you really learn you know how to be a good teammate and whatever sport it is you know our sports hockey but um, you know you can you can take the uh, the good things from being on a team and you can apply it to you know anything in life uh, I think everyone is aware of the common goal um, in our locker room and I think everyone uh, team first just means putting and doing doing anything you can as an individual to uh, help the team get to that common goal. We're always saying we, it's never I, and so for us it's, it's our dream, it's what we've always wanted to do. That was pretty cool. It was uh, both of them talking about their backgrounds and uh, in hockey and kind of some thoughts uh, about their careers. I found that to be really cool. Um, it's always fun when you're doing something like this to hear from the subjects themselves, so that was pretty neat. Uh, there's only one thing, though, I do have to point out. I do take exception with them calling uh, Grand Forks a small town. 
when you live in North Dakota, Grand Forks is the big city. So uh, I lived in North Dakota, and I lived uh, at a point further west of Grand Forks. And uh, we went to Grand Forks to go go into town. So um, <laughs> when they call it a small small town, I, I I'm like, gosh, why don't you go out and uh, live in Minot where I used to live? So, anyways, that being said. Uh, let's just start there. Jocelyn and Monique were born and raised in Grand Forks, North Dakota, as they pointed out there. And uh, it's worth saying here, too, once again, Upper Midwest, can I get a you betcha? Um, to say that their family was and is a hockey family is a complete understatement. The twins are the youngest behind three older brothers who all played hockey, just like their dad, Jean-Pierre, a Canadian import from Edmonton, who was a goalie at the University of North Dakota from 1979 to 1983 and won two national championships with the Sioux in 80 and 82. Of course, all their brothers played hockey and were pretty good too, believe it or not. The sisters learned to skate as early as expected and like many young girls learning to play the game, cut their teeth playing against the boys. At first, it was games in the winter outside with their brothers uh, on the frozen canal across the street. Then they later moved on to playing in different youth leagues in Grand Forks. Also, when they were almost 10, they both saw the U.S. win the first gold medal uh, in women's hockey, and they just decided that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to win a gold medal in the Olympics for U.S. or Canada because their dad was Canadian. They could technically play for the Canadian team, but thank goodness for all of us, they ended up uh, going for the U.S., and uh, that was good. Uh, the girls held their own, though, as they really didn't encounter too much resistance to their playing, uh, unlike some of the other stories that you'd hear. Uh, the community in Grand Forks was largely accepting of them, and uh, they were able to get a lot of chances to play with the boys at that point. At the age of 12, though, they found themselves playing on a state championship in Pee Wee uh, on a boys' A team, and that got them really noticed by college scouts, even from that age, who really couldn't talk to them, but they just noticed them. But more importantly, they got noticed by something... Uh, somebody that would be really important in their lives, uh, and that was uh, Coach Stafford at Shattuck St. Mary's in Faribault. Uh, by getting noticed by Shattuck, they were able to go to that famous hockey hotbed school and learn a lot and concentrate on their game and grow as, as, as people. Uh, I know if you're a hockey fan, you definitely recognize that school name. It's often called the Hogwarts of Hockey. It's the boarding school that's produced such great players as Sidney Crosby, Zach Parise, Nate McKinnon, and a bevy of other NHL stars. And after the discussion with their coach and a recruiting trip, you can add that Jocelyn and Monique Lamoureux uh, are part of that uh, great hockey alumni list that played at Shattuck St. Mary's. Uh, it was a tough transition, though, as the girls were very, you know, young teenagers as they had to leave for Shattuck's. But they uh, quickly found a great family there, and they talk really highly about the school, um, and especially the hockey program. It was the first time the Twins would be playing on an all-girls team. They described the, how the upper class really helped them adjust, and that they really trusted Coach Stafford to help them excel. And it was someone that they really learned from and wanted to follow. So they were thriving at Shattuck, and the success that they found there really showed uh, the girls would just tear it up right from the start. Their freshman season in 2004-2005, Jocelyn scored 102 points, and Monique would rack up 113 points en route to a state and national championship. They both continued to grow and help Shattuck 
keep their foot on the gas as they went on to three more state titles and two more national ones uh, by the time they graduated, making it four total state titles and three national titles uh, when they uh, left Shattuck. Uh, and they did it all maintaining a straight A average. That's not too bad. Uh, I can say, uh, you know, playing sports in high school, I didn't really maintain a straight A average. So they obviously had the drive uh, to succeed not only in hockey, but just in life. And it, it was really kind of refreshing to read about young people doing that. Also during their time at Shattuck, uh, Jocelyn and Monique started their relationship with USA Hockey. They were invited to four different player development camps while in high school and learned and played alongside their idols like Angelo Ruggiero and others who were on that 98 Nagano team. In those first couple of years, they didn't get selected for a whole lot of different teams, but the sisters were able to sneak on to the 2006 Four Nations Cup roster and a U-22 team for uh, 2008. They described this time w with USA Hockey as uh, really formative. As I remember, they learned a lot from a lot of great players, as we just mentioned, but they also mentioned that they were not selected for every team, and that sort of made them know what that feeling of being left off a roster was and how they needed to work on it and uh, not take anything for granted. It's really, they talk about the character building that, that comes with that. It's a feeling that they experienced and they say was also really important to not only, like we said, staying motivated, but it also helped them have the empathy that they needed uh, when friends would get cut themselves uh, and really just also to appreciate more and more the success of making the rosters that they did in the future. And uh, with as well as they played at Shattuck, it was really a no-brainer. The twins at the time of the graduation and even before as they were being recruited uh, could virtually pick anywhere they wanted to play college hockey in the entire country. They were getting recruited by everybody. Uh, they thought about going home to UND who had a brand new uh, hockey, women's hockey program, uh, but they were really lacking success uh, at that time. So Jocelyn and Monique decided that the best road for them uh, was to still stay close to home, but play for a powerhouse in women's hockey, uh, which was the University of Minnesota. With the Gophers, the Lamoureux found instant success and Monique was second team All-American in her freshman year. And Jocelyn and Monique both earned first team All-WHA honors uh, WCHA honors by helping to propel Minnesota to a Frozen Four appearance that spring. Still, despite the success, successes and a bright future at Minnesota, the Twins decided that summer to transfer to UND. As they put it, the program was looking up and it was hard to ignore the call to come home. With the Sioux, the Lamoureux would find successes, but not really make any of the splashes they could have if they had just stayed in Minnesota. As a matter of fact, the Gophers would make the NCAA tournament every year and won a national championship after the sisters transferred to North Dakota. Still, it was the right decision for them in the end, and Jocelyn and Monique were very happy uh, in their decision and their transfer. Their lives in Grand Forks were great, and they were certainly celebrated as hometown heroes. And as fate would have it, they were on the radar of USA Hockey and would see their extracurricular ventures with the national team pay off more and more as they began their journey that brought them to the forefront of the women's hockey world. Still, for all their successes, even at this high level, the Lamoureux had significant issues with being able to balance the world of being a high-class athlete and simply making a living. We'll get into that and the tremendous steps they went through to right that wrong and the inequities associated with it in the next frame. So get ready, the second period is up 
after this. Hey guys, good morning. They were hoping for a deal overnight, but there still isn't one. The Women's Ice Hockey World Championship kicks off this Friday here in the U.S., but the U.S. team, the current world champs, may not actually be there. When the Winter Olympics kick off in Seoul in less than a year, the USA women's hockey team will be a medal favorite. But right now, the team is so angry with USA Hockey, the sport's national association, that they are threatening to boycott this week's World Championship tournament. We need more visibility, we need more games, and we need to be paid properly. USA Hockey was expected to vote on a new deal Monday, but overnight, there was still no announcement. The team says they don't get nearly the support the men get flying coach instead of business class, sharing hotel rooms instead of getting their own. The men can practice full-time and travel to games, relying on NHL salaries. But women don't earn anywhere near that kind of money playing professionally. The captain of the women's team, Megan Duggan, says all they are asking for is a living wage and equitable benefits. Support for the women players is growing, from pros in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL. One high-profile agent said members of the men's hockey team may boycott their own championship in solidarity. Obviously, we, we support them and they want equitable support and we'd like to think they can uh, work something out. A group of 14 U.S. senators also dialed up the pressure with a letter to USA Hockey to express their serious concerns. With the boycott looming, USA Hockey went looking for replacements, but at least some of the high school and college players refused. The fight looks a lot like the one the U.S. women's soccer team waged to get equal pay just before the Rio games in 2016. Some of those players spoke with Matt here on Today. But why does it come to a head now? I think the timing is right. I think that uh, we've proven our worth over the years. Now women's hockey is saying the same thing. And if no one listens, they simply won't play. In a statement, USA Hockey says they have increased their level of direct support and they have a long-standing commitment to the advancement and growth of girls and women's hockey. And they say any claims to the contrary are unfounded. And the clock is ticking. That's right, just a few days. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much. That clip's going to steal a lot of the thunder of what I'm going to talk about this period, but I think it was really good and it's a great summary for you um, to know the background of what was going on in 2017 and just what the uh what the efforts were that the twins were largely spearheading there to with the rest of their teammates to get uh, equal pay and equal opportunity to play with usa hockey um i also really think that it's important that um you just sort of know that it was it was something that was big it was it was creating national attention and we'll get more into that here as we talk about it in the uh, second period so when we looked at the 1998 US's women's story you saw a group of women who faced a ton of challenges it mostly centered around their ability to just play lack of organized women's hockey programs and the stigma of being inferior to male competitors were serious impediments but after Nagano it looked like those things were rapidly changing and in many ways they were and when you look at the generation of women players like Jocelyn and Monique, they certainly had those issues, but to a lesser extent. And by and large, the Twins could play, granted in boys' leagues at first, but once at Shattuck, then at Minnesota, and then at UND, they found outstanding programs to play in that helped them develop their skills and grow as players. Add to that the fact that the USA Hockey Women's Program was a supplement 
uh, to that development. It looked like the past challenges of women in the sport were largely that in the past. But that assumption just really is wrong. Jocelyn and Monique describe really starting to face more serious issues once they left college. They were trying to work and make a living while training for and attending USA hockey camps and international tournaments. The twins described having to significantly take time away from work and were receiving little to no compensation or assistance from USA Hockey. Basically, they were working to be the best in the world and not receiving the support they needed to get there. In addition to the simple compensation was the fact that what, the compensa what compensation they did get was not what their male peers were getting, uh, as you uh, probably figured out from the clip from the Today Show that we listened to. Uh, there's a myriad of issues, and if you read the book, they, uh, Jocelyn and Monique line them all out. But just to highlight a few that uh, I just thought was kind of crazy, I mean, it ranged from obvious things like not getting the same per diem as men's players and having to double up on room, hotel rooms uh, to the fact that the one that you didn't hear in there but just totally shocked me was the men all got rings for winning tournaments uh, like world championships and the women just didn't so where's your trophy if you didn't medal I mean you should have some kind of ring or something but the men weren't they they were getting things that the women weren't and that's as we know it doesn't take a rocket science to know it's really not fair when I read all this I was obviously upset really for two main reasons the first is that gender discrimination the gender discrimination is obvious you can't say that it wasn't there. Uh, also, the women teams have been way more successful than their male counterparts. USA Hockey needs to be kissing the ground these women walk on because when it comes to actual results, the women have won far, far and away way more than the men and been more successful. And uh, while it can be said that the men's game is still probably a little more popular, uh, success-wise, it's not even close. All that being said, Jocelyn and Monique decided to take the lead and got in touch with Julie Foudy, formerly of the U.S. women's soccer team, who had helped that team uh, battle the U.S. and the rest of the U.S. women's team battle for equality. Her advice was really twofold. First, she pointed to them, uh, she pointed them to the Philadelphia-based law firm that had helped the soccer women, uh, and second, she made sure to emphasize that all the players need to stand strong together if they were going to do this, if they were actually going to make some change. So after speaking with their uh, now uh, retained law firm uh, about what the best way was to make their point with USA Hockey, it was decided that the negotiations would be centered around the idea that if things did not change substantially, that the U.S. women, uh, as it now would, uh, as it would that the U.S. women would not participate in the 2017 World Championships in Michigan that were going to go on later that year um, because of the implications that could happen. I mean, it would really do two things. First, it would inflict max consequences on USA Hockey as they were the host nation and they wanted to win. And two, it would put the Olympics in jeopardy as the they as this was an important uh, milestone on the road to get them started, and it was really six months after the World Championships that the uh, Olympics would be placed. So you could see where USA Hockey would uh, be sweating it uh, when it came to the Olympics, which is a really important moneymaker for them. As expected, the negotiations with USA Hockey did not go well at first. The Twins and the rest of the Team, team USA decided that they had to reach the threshold 
and uh, you know about that they had to reach a certain threshold or they were going to hold out from camp uh, for the world and they announced uh, soon before the camp about you know two weeks or so that they would not be coming to camp unless they received equal support from USA Hockey. The boycott really didn't end there though because it was obvious that USA Hockey would just simply go out and go down the list and try to replace them with other players. Jocelyn, Monique, and the rest of the team had that covered though as they called almost every Division I college women's player and coach in the country and explained to them that their participation uh, you know, in the boycott was really needed and that they would be helping themselves and so many in the future uh, if they were to say no to USA Hockey's request to replace all the players that were boycotting at that time. And the players and coaches they called were really helpful and positive by and large. Add to that the fact that the players up and down the list were standing solid with the boycott. There was a ton of media outpouring that helped the women of Team USA get their message across, really. And that, to me, when you look at it, you really... Uh, help push things across so everybody who helped the women through the social media campaign that they had uh, and even some uh, women you female US senators that had uh, shown their support through a letter really helped to bring USA hockey back to the bargaining table and initially it looked like the two sides were able to hammer out a deal relatively quickly once they got back to the negotiating table but after that uh, they had a handshake agreement they go back, and the U.S. Uh, USA Hockey Board of Directors kind of really made a gaffe, is what I'd call it. Uh, I don't know if that's a strong enough word, really. And they initially voted down the handshake agreement. Then the twi twins, the team, and their lawyers upped the pressure, and they really got it done at that point. The board finally understood the risks to the organization and the smear campaign that Hockey uh, USA was getting in the press because of uh, just how positive the outpouring was in support of the players. They the USA Hockey Board changed their minds and agreed to a new, more equitable package of support that was signed. Uh, Monique and Jocelyn both described where they were when they got the news that USA Hockey was going to sign the new package. And that really says to me that they were just extremely invested in this and that uh, it wasn't just something that they were... Uh, that they, they were looking for from a monetary standpoint. They were emotionally invested in this. They understood what it meant. And if you read the book, you'll certainly get that impression. Sure, the rest of the narrative in the book is uh, about these events explains that. But if you needed an explanation at this point, that was it. That, hey, I remember where I was when I got the text that said uh, they were bowing to our demands. They had struck a serious way forward for the women's, women's game and laid the groundwork for an equitable and actual sustainable way to play on the U.S. national team as women. Sounds a lot like the things that are being sought by the PWHPA currently in the emerging professional game for women. The playbook for them was made by these women like Jocelyn and Monique during this saga and you can see it playing out now with the Dream Gap Tour. To me this was overdue. It's the next step to make women's hockey more sustainable but even now there's still a lot more to go but I mean at a minimum you can definitely know that it took guts and it did and the team did not falter. It's a very good example for anyone out there, male or female, looking to right or wrong and do it in a very uh, constructive and classy manner. Now, 
though, with an agreement in place, the U.S. women were ready to take on the 2017 World Championships and looked even more united than before. They, sure, they lost out on some practice uh, time as they were arriving in Michigan just before play started, but they knew special things were on the horizon. As we all know, looking back at it, there were special things on the horizon. So let's dive into that time and talk about just how special the Lamoureux were in international play up next in the final period after this. It was when Kessel was going, uh, she scored to tie it up, which is, I think, a more high pressure situation when we were down uh, in the shootout. So she scored and he said, if it goes to six, you're going. And I was like, absolutely, I wanna go. Um, and when it goes to six, it switched. So we went first instead of second after five. And so I just, just had this feeling we were gonna get it done. And after I put one in, I threw my stick to the back of the bench because I knew Maddie was stopping the next one. We worked with our old uh, coach uh, back at university on just different, working on our hands and different moves. And so against Russia, it was, oops, I did it. So it's, it's the fake shot to the backhand. And then yesterday, last night, was the oops, I did it again, where it's the fake shot backhand back to the forehand. Uh, <laughs> done it thousands of times on tires, butchered it hundreds of times, probably shot pucks against tires, stationary tires, mind you, and just glad it worked out when it mattered most. I'm Jocelyn Lamarue-Davidson, and we're 2018 Winter Olympic Champions. So like last period, it looks like I might be giving up a little bit about um, some of the events we're going to talk about in this period, because if you listen to that clip, that's Jocelyn talking about her overtime winner and the shootout to uh, to beat Canada in the gold medal game in 2018. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, I really liked it because it just explains what she was thinking and how she made her move, which was an awesome move. It's one of the best shootout moves I've ever seen, period. So... Um, if you were under a rock and you didn't get to watch that one in 2018, get on YouTube, watch it right now. It's a pretty cool move. It's an awesome shootout. So uh, I think the only one that I really enjoyed more watching was probably TJ Oshie, but that's a whole other story. Uh, both another UND alumni, by the way. So getting to the third period, to this point, we've largely left out the discussion of the Twins and their successes as uh, part of the U.S. national team. So I wanted to start there briefly and go over that record to catch us up to 2017 in the World Championships. Because if I glossed over their participation in international play up to that point, I'd be leaving out a ton of their story. As you can already guess, both Lamoureux were excellent performers for Team USA over the years. Up to that 2017 World Championship, they had won gold medals in five world championships previously and one silver medal and in one world champion in one world championship and two uh, Olympic silver medals in 2010 and 2014. Statistically to that point Jocelyn had tallied 55 goals 129 points in 117 games played and Monique had 58 goals and 131 points in 115 games played. Surprisingly identical statistics for identical twins. <laughs> but really, all joking aside, those are monster numbers, as the Lamoureux were a force in USA hockey, to say the least. Now we get to the 2017 Worlds, and the team is buzzing. They are fresh off their win against USA hockey, and they rolled through that tournament. They were largely uncontested, going undefeated to include two wins against Canada, including a shutout in the preliminary round, 
and a 3-2 overtime victory in the gold medal game. Jocelyn had four goals that tournament, and Monique had one goal and five assists. Certainly at the top of the team roster, and that cemented their place as leaders on the team going into the Olympics. So it seemed. But then the twins described going back to Tampa and their training center um, in kind of an environment change, really, in the tune-up to the Olympics. It saw them being put in a strange and unknown place for them. The new coaching staff was fostering an environment that was more competitive with the idea that no one's spot on the roster was guaranteed. For Jocelyn and Monique being veterans and leaders, they expected to make the team even despite the strong rhetoric. And yes, this is kind of a typical hockey move for a lot of coaches uh, to let everyone know that your time is something that you need to earn. But the two in the book say that this is something that just felt a little different and was a little bit off due to their approach. The idea that their spot on the Olympic roster was not guaranteed came to a huge head when the coaches did not dress either one of the twins during the Four Nations Cup tournament That's that winter. They should have played at least a little bit. They were still two of the best players on the team, and they needed the reps. The only expl- But they didn't play a single game. The only explanation that Jocelyn and Monique could think of was that they were going to be cut from the team eventually. But still, despite the big snub and the message that it sent, both Lamoureux made the team for Pyeongchang. Confused as they were, they still decided to just go with it and get ready for the Olympics. But to this day, they still really don't understand what the explanation was uh, why they were left out of that Four Nations tournament. In Korea, the Twins and Team USA shined. The U.S. really rolled through the preliminary round, winning their first two games easily, but three ga- but in Game 3 against Canada, they lost 2-1. to one. It was a hard loss because the Canadians had been on a roll against the U.S. women ever since the World Championship. But as the Twins described, even though they lost... Uh, the group really felt that the gap to the Canadians was closing again and that they'd, uh, when they'd meet again eventually, probably in the final for the gold medal round, uh, for gold medal game, things would be different and they'd be ready to win. In the medal round, the U.S. started well as Jocelyn scored a goal in the 5 nothing takedown of Finland. The Canadians also won their game 5 nothing against Russia, and so it was the stage was set for another epic U.S. Uh, versus Canada gold medal game and this one would not disappoint. As it happened in that uh, gold medal game, Hillary Knight got the U.S. out to a quick lead uh, in the first period, uh, late in the first period, but the Canadians would fight back for two more goals quickly in the second period uh, to take a two-to-one lead. The Canadians held that lead for most of the rest of the game until about with, uh, until about with six minutes to go, uh, Monique found the back of the net to tie it, and the game went to overtime 2-2. Two to two. In overtime, the two teams would not break the deadlock. There was a lot of back and forth, but in the end, the game ended up going to the shootout. And that shootout was awesome. It was exciting, with big goals and big saves by both teams. It went to, sudden de- it went to the sudden death round after a 2-2 initial round. When Jocelyn got her chance as the sixth shooter for Team USA, she made what was one of the best shootout moves, I think, in hockey history. The deke she did to beat Shannon Zabatos was amazing. What's even cooler, it was a move that Jocelyn had practiced before, and it had a name. Oops, I did it again. (laughs) All you Britney Spears fans out there, I should cue the music, but I don't have it, alas. 
so now the twins had realized their gold medal dreams, and they spent the next little bit doing the circuit and contemplating their futures. They quickly decided that they wanted to concentrate on being mothers first uh, and building families as they had little boys about a year or so later. But they also decided that they were going to use their celebrity and platform to advance quality. It was something that was very important to them, and they knew that they had the voice to do it. With support from their sponsors at Comcast, they've been able to give back to so many causes and ensure that the dreams of many are supported and nurtured, not just in hockey, but all over. Also, they are making sure what they started with their fight in USA Hockey in 2017 is continued and goes the full distance for what needs to be full equality for women playing the game. They just announced their retirements from hockey a few months ago, and it's easy to say that the legacy of the Twins is their greatest success story in hockey. But more importantly, the what the they did to advance the equality uh, was really done through persistence, and that's kind of the, the the thing that they did. They they keep in much the the humble way of the place that they're from. Uh, they just keep their heads down and, and do what they need to do it quietly and not boastfully. But they're looking to get there. They're determined. I see the linkage between them and their first, and the first set of women hockey pioneers, really, and that's kind of cool. Uh, the twins are a product of those first women pioneers, and they were able to do what they did because of them. But what's more is the twins knew that, and they set themselves up to have that same impact on the future. I'm sure that players of tomorrow will benefit from their actions, and will certainly call them out as inspirations. That speaks loudest to me, and I think that Jocelyn and Monique would agree. That was their goal all along. And, oh yeah, to win a gold medal, that was also a goal too. So, um, Now that we know what their legacy is like, let's go ahead and just wrap this sucker up as the postgame's coming up to you right after this. The United States and Canada gold medal game. Long pass ahead to Monique Lamoureux. She scores! And we are headed for a shootout. Oh my gosh. They are on pins and needles here. Jocelyn Lamoureux. Come on, come on, come on, come on. She deeks and scores! The United States wins gold! That's electrifying. That's as good as you're going to see anywhere. The Lamoureux ladies stepped up gigantic in this gold medal game. Phenomenal performance by both of them. Dear Monique and Jocelyn, I heard about everything you went through to get to the Olympics. Dear Jocelyn, I'm from a small town too. We don't have a girls hockey team either, but that never stopped you. Dear Jocelyn and Monique, you didn't just play with the boys. You were two of the best players on the team. Makes me want to try out. Dear Monique, I read that when you were my age, girls weren't even allowed to play hockey in the Olympics. But you dreamed you'd do it anyways. Next biggest thing for us is the Olympics. My dream is to play in the Olympics. I can't believe you were willing to lose it all to fight for girls like me. Breaking news, USA women's hockey team taking a stand for gender equity. The team threatening to boycott to leverage for equal resources. Knowing this could cost them their shot at Olympic gold. We were fighting for equitable support within hockey, but that resonates and transcends sports. 
just in. USA women's hockey team has won their fight for gender equity. Dear Monique and Jocelyn, you risked your dreams so that one day I'd have the chance to follow mine. Dear Jocelyn and Monique, you taught me that if I put my mind to it, I can be anything I want to be. Thank you for your courage. You guys are really brave. I stand up for myself now. You and in gold made me believe that I can get there someday. When I grow up, I'm gonna be just like you. I'm gonna break barriers. If there's a better way to wrap this episode up, I'm not sure what it is, but what you heard there was some young girls writing letters to Jocelyn and Monique explaining to them what they mean to them and how they've inspired them to uh, go forward and, and do their best, not only in hockey, but really in life. And that's really where it's important to me. Um, so as we wrap up this discussion this week with the Lamoureux, I think that's really where you uh, want to keep this. You want to understand that if you read this book, you're going to be inspired more by their fight to uh, have equality for women in hockey and outside the game uh, than really reading about the game. Uh, the game is important to the story, but it's not the entire story. Uh, and I think that's what's cool. But I still really enjoyed reading about the game. Uh, when I read hockey stories, I just love to hear about the different struggles and even just the successes. And these two had a lot of struggles and a lot of successes. So um, w if you read this book, I think you'll be surprised that their story is just one of those really, really positive and neat stories. Sure, there's some setbacks, but the way they present them, the way that they show them to you is also inspiring in and of itself. So when you read this book, you're just going to feel happy the whole time. And I think that was one of the big things for me is I, I enjoyed it. It's also a pretty quick read. Um, it's not really long, about 225 pages. Um, and it breaks itself up well. Like I said, you'll have the problem of jumping back and forth between the two girls, but I really don't, I didn't see it as a problem. Some people might. Uh, I kind of appreciated it and liked it and was still able to keep up with it. But uh, really putting a bow on where they're at, um, as you've heard, the two sisters have recently retired from play um, as they really have other things that they want to do in life now and, and just sort of see that the road ahead can be very difficult. Do I think they could have made the 2022 Olympic team? Sure, they probably could have. They seem extremely determined, and I, I really feel like they, if they wanted to, they could have. But like a lot of other things, that's their choice, and that's that's what they, uh, they where they want to take their life now. So, I you know really can't wait to see how they continue to advance the platform. Can't wait to see where we're going to see them next. Uh, and I think that's when you leave this story, that's what you want to be thinking about. How are they going to inspire uh, girls and women? Uh, and really, I would even argue everybody else in the entire world after this. What can they do? And I, I'm excited to see what that's going to be. Um, it, like I said, it's really important that uh, we continue to see women uh, advance the game of hockey uh, for women by taking the past, linking it to the future, and then setting the ones up in the future to have an even easier road. That's what they call paying it forward, and the two sisters have really paid it forward, and their story is important. So if you've got a minute, definitely go pick this one up. Uh, it's a little hard to find right now, <laughs> I've found, um, but it's out there. Uh, you can definitely find it. I'm, I think 
they uh, didn't print enough because, it, like I said, I had, to, I, had to, I had to take a minute to find this one. But it's out there, recently published, great book, uh, and I recommend that you find it uh, wherever you find books. So um, that's really, really an important book to find. But alrighty then, that's it for this week. As always, I've hoped you enjoyed the show and you're now as enthusiastic about the women's game as I am after this. I've said that before, but it just keeps coming every week. Um, this week, we're going to end our uh, Women's History Month segment. Uh, granted, next weekend is still March, but uh, we're getting into April, so uh, I'm going to shift gears here. But uh, I just want to also end the show, as I normally do, by giving a plug and saying, hey, if you've got a second, please get on your favorite podcast-type platform place and give the show a good rating. It really helps. Uh, it, it'll help us uh, grow and uh, get a little bit further down the line. So if you got an extra minute, go ahead and do that and hit subscribe too while you're at it. Also, if you need any, if you have any more time and you really want to, you know, have some fun on social media, uh, give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, I usually take every week's book and then uh, give facts and uh, pictures about the different uh, subjects of the book this week every week that we do something so it's really important and uh, I guarantee you you know some good stuff and if that's not enough and you still have an extra minute and you got a suggestion or a comment or something you can always email me at the uh, show's email address which is from the point podcast 16 at gmail.com so, as always, looking ahead uh, now to next week, like I said, we're going to be off of Women's History Month, but I'm going to do a book that I think is really important that I enjoyed immensely uh, because it really puts the, uh, pre- it puts the period on a great man, a great hockey man, and that's uh, Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father by Murray Howe about uh, his father, the great Gordie Howe, and just what the impact that uh, Gordie had on Murray's life and on a lot of other people's lives. Um, if you've read Mr. Hockey, Gordy's autobiography, you have to read this book because it takes all the stuff from Mr. Hockey and really puts it into uh, even more of context and uh, advances the legend that is Gordy Howe. Not only just from being a hockey player, but a man. He's a great man. And uh, just to hear his son talk about how great he was was awesome. So that's up next week, and I hope you'll uh, go ahead and tune in. So uh, I think that's where we end it now. Uh, As always, I just want to say thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you're a first-time listener, thanks for trying us out. Hope you'll be back next week. And this has been From the Point. I'm Danny Lambert. And as always, stay classy, hockey fans.